Lou wants your pancake. He wants the peanut butter. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, he cocked his head so hard. Are you going to make me tea? I thought you were going to make me tea. Uh, I could. I could. Do you want tea? Yeah. What kind of tea do you want? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, art is becoming reality. <laughs> Do you really want me to make you tea? Yes. Okay, not just for the episode. No, I really want tea. It's a chilly night. It is. I think storms and ice storms are watching. No! I like your superpowers. I think it's how they flash that to these superpowers. Okay. I legit have never got that. I just saw it because I just saw it because I saw it. Bruisers, episode two The Gun. On that particular day, a lot of good things happened. Leading up to it, I had a really good session with my therapist about intention about living deliberately and about letting there be good in the world, no matter what happens. With that intention, I decided to take care of myself. I decided to have a spa day. I waxed my nose and did one of those tears off the top layer skin face masks. It was a good day. I got a haircut. It was cool being able to get a haircut after the long months of quarantine. My thick hair that somehow grows thicker and longer in the hot summer months was trimmed down and for the first time since quarantine ended, I felt sun on the tops of my ears. I posed all adoringly and sent Kate a picture. When I came home from work, a package was left for me, something from Texas. There's an excitement when you see a parcel with your name handwritten on it. It's something for you from a living, breathing person who cares about you. Not just a digitally written and printed Amazon sticker. Kate's cousin thought of me when she found a bunch of old Godzilla soundtracks on vinyl, so she sent them up to New York where I opened the package with much delight. The covers were so cool. Pictures of the monsters with bold Japanese writing, sketches of the characters were etched on the backs and pencils, and it had one of just those a spellbinding quality to it. It was a crossroads of so many awesome things like monsters and art and cool Japanese shit. Thank you, Mary. You made that day a good day. Kate suggested we go for a walk. It was hot, but at the river, the shade of the trees invites a breeze. And if you walk slowly enough, it's like everything. Even the rare white crane we very occasionally see by the river slows to a meandering pace. We saw a snake. We saw a frog. It was a good day. Kate told me that she saw something on Facebook that agitated her. But instead of engaging in that cyclical debate of post after post that accomplishes nothing, she collected herself and let it go. I was proud of her. I was so proud that she harnessed that energy for other good things in her life that I hugged her and I kissed her and that was the best part of my day. On that 
particular day, a lot of good things happen. Then I had a gun pulled on me. It's not uncommon in our neighborhood for there to be some kind of trouble. We've had creepers, tweakers, drunks, thieves, guys who case for thieves, guys who show us their penises, guys that puke on our lawn, arguments between big groups of people that end in tire slash and people uh, bumped with cars, and one dude had the audacity to call my dog ugly. It can be a rough place. So when someone was shouting obscenities at me, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think he would threaten me verbally. I didn't think that after I walked away, he would follow me in his car. I didn't think that after turning down some random street to avoid bringing him to where I lived, he would roll down his car window and pull out his gun and point it at me. Before I tell you exactly what happened next, I want to tell you how the situation ended. Some folks from my neighborhood who were driving by, people I don't even know, pulled up near the gunman's car and started shouting at him. In only a way a grandmother could, I heard this voice of an old lady bellow, Put that shit away! Some others were shouting too, but the tension between the gunman and I was cut, and I was able to walk away, stunned, but without any unmendable holes. Safe now, recollecting the event from the comfort of my couch, under a quilt someone made for our wedding. The memory of looking down the barrel of the gun seems like a dream. I was probably ten feet away from the open car window, where the dude with the gun was sticking his weapon out of. But in that surreal memory, he's closer than anyone has ever been to me. There are two things that I remember during the moment I looked at the gun. When I first saw the weapon, I wasn't scared. Weirdly, my first thought was, huh, that gun is really skinny. Later, after I told my brother that it happened, he said it was probably a Beretta. I looked up that kind of gun on Google Images, but all pictures of guns are taken from the side. That's the aesthetic side of the firearm. Never do you see a gun straight on. Never do you see how thin a pistol is until it's pointing at you. For some reason, my first thought was, huh, that gun is really skinny. The second thought that popped into my head was a feeling that the man with the gun wasn't going to fire. I understand the counterintuition of seeing a gun aimed at you and feeling like you were not going to get shot, but that's how I felt. It may have been a shutdown of my fight or flight response. I've heard that in traumatic injury cases, the brain won't remember the car crash, for example, or the bungee jump or the explosion because the brain is saying, nope, we can't deal with all this at once, so it blocks out the stimuli as it braces for impact. The brain was preparing me to die. If there was a word for a step deeper than numbness, that's what I was. Because it wasn't that I wasn't feeling anything. It was that I was shutting down all other biological functions in my body, including my emotional intelligence. I was transforming into something that wasn't even me. I always felt like I was defined by the way I could emotionally navigate the world, by how I could connect with others through a feeling. 
But in those moments, I didn't feel like me. I felt entirely, utterly, despairingly inhuman. I was cut out of the spiritual matrix that links every human being to one another. I was objectified. I was a thing, a sacrifice, a totem, an effigy. Then I heard, put that shit away, and I faded back into my body. It wasn't all at once. I first regained my motor functions. I started walking away since the numb tension between the gunman and I was cut by the intervention of a yelling grandma. Then slowly, the thirst came back to my tongue. The tingling in my fingertips sparked back to life, and I could feel warmth in my face once more. I was, in the most basic sense, a body that could follow instructions again. By the time I made it home, I felt the next wave of feelings. I was like a coliseum of all these different emotions suddenly battling for dominance. I was grateful to be alive, but I was angry that it happened at all. I was laughing because I realized how absurd the world must be, but I felt a powerful melancholy because I could have left behind my wife and my dog. That hurt so bad seeing their faces as I came through the door, my dog panting and smiling up at me, wanting all the love and pets that my shaky hands could give. And there was Kate, this immensely compassionate presence. And when I saw her 10 years of laughing and bickering and learning and growing all shot through me like I stuck my finger in an electrical socket. I could have lost it all. What would that have been like for them? Would Kate have heard the gunshot? Would she have to leave the house with the dog inside even though he hates being left alone to see where my body was? Would she have to answer questions about what happened? Would she have to move out of the neighborhood? Those feelings gave out to fear because even though I was alive, I was overflowing with the thought that the world was dangerous. Around every corner, there was a dude with a gun tucked into his pants. There's a guy with a knife or a group of guys waiting to jump you. The thought of leaving my loved ones behind, alone, without recourse, Kate in a black dress trying to find someone to watch Lulu so she could attend my funeral, made me so terrified. My thoughts started mutating like a kaleidoscope. We should move out. We should get out of this neighborhood, this city, this state, this whole goddamn country. Change our names to Wigloff and Hilda and start lives in Iceland where nobody bothers you, nobody carries guns, and nobody minds that we like long walks without having obscene shit shouted at us. There's a counter-argument in my head, though. Why? I ask. Why should I leave? Isn't this my neighborhood, my city, my state, my whole goddamn country? I should defend it down to my bones. I could get a pistol permit. I could get a carry license. I could get some of the neighbors to start a neighborhood watch, and if any motherfucker wants to start shit in my realm, then they pay the price. I was ready and willing to sell my soul to the almighty force of violence, so those images... Me as an effigy, Kate at a grave, Lulu having no one to stay up late with, a future without kids of my own, 
No more reading to Kate as she falls asleep. No more Kate waiting for me on the porch as I pull in from work. No more walks by the river. No more overdramatic hugs when I lift my wife off the ground. All those images would be burned out of my head so I would never, ever feel the sense of ugly loss ever, ever again. That's a really scary thought. It's scary how easy it is for a person one day to be a hopeful Zen student who wants nothing but the best for everyone to suddenly have that ripped out of them so fiercely that all that remains is some kind of paranoid engine of vengeance. Evil does not destroy the body. Evil does not care if you get shot or not. Evil's goal is not to burn the flesh and scatter the bones and turn you to dust. See, evil wants you to live. Evil wants you to survive so you can go back to your home a changed person. A person without pity in their hearts. A person without love for their neighbor. A person without mercy or thoughtfulness or kindness. Evil wants to replace your understanding with judgment. Evil wants to replace your open hands with closed fists. Evil wants to take away the thing that makes you, you. That is the finest line that ever existed in martial arts. And all martial artists have to walk it. The capacity and the ability to live in violence can easily spill over from defense to wrath from safety to paranoia, from justice to mercilessness. The most frightening thing about that is how evil twists your perceptions of your loved ones. Instead of having a family and your friends inspire you to do good in the world, it pollutes those thoughts to become egocentric, possessive, authoritarian. So at the end of evil's grand plan, you are using the people you love to justify hurting others. That's not who I want to be, man. I don't want to be a scared man holding a gun, trying to reclaim some desperate semblance of security. Today, I'm not going to be that man. Today, I am not going to let an evil, ugly thing change me. Because today, a lot of good things happened. My face is clean. My nose is hairless. I saw a white crane and a frog and his friend the snake. My good friend Mary sent me vinyls that I will most certainly jam to for the years to come. An old lady who I didn't know stopped to shout down a gunman. I looked marvelous with my new haircut. I got to walk my dog and I got to walk with my wife. And I felt an enormous swell of pride when she could have given herself over to anger but didn't. Instead, she offered that we go for a walk. To the gunman, I feel an enormous amount of pity for you. My truest hope is that someday, you will have a day where so many great things happen to you, you will realize that your power is not your gun, but it's the man behind the gun. I have a feeling that once both you and I reject our egos fully, we could be possibly very good friends. 
that I know would be a very good day. There's a ship in your backyard, fish in your bed. There are a lot of emotions right now in dealing with what happened just two days ago. A lot of alternate world endings that are disturbing and needless. I watched Patrick leave our home with a baseball bat in tow, knowing there was a car driving around our neighborhood, coming for us. Every minute that passed felt like an hour. Will I hear yelling? A fight? What if they have a gun? Should I take Lou out and scope out what's happening? Instead, after ten minutes went by, I sent a three-worded text. Are you okay? I didn't hear back. Then, the door chime chirped a happy beep and I sighed a major breath of relief. Patrick came up to me, gave me a hug, and told me what happened. What happened? We were enjoying a lovely afternoon walk in our neighborhood when some kids in a car started shouting at us, unprovoked. I think a lesson here is that there are people out there who are looking for trouble. They are looking for a fight. If you go out looking for trouble, looking for the worst in people, that is what you will find. If you go out looking for peace, peace will find you in unimaginable ways. Setting intentions is a new practice for us, and I think this situation was put in front of us as a test. Patrick will admit that he failed that test, but now when we go on a passeggiata, we will know to greet evil with kindness and compassion. Let's all proceed with the intentions of finding peace and thinking the best of people. When we do that, there will be a little less evil seen in our communities. I'd like to do a deep dive on violence and trauma caused by ego, but I need time to sit with our current trauma. That'll be an episode for another day. In the meantime, we'd like to thank all the people who reached out to us. Matthew and Lucia for bringing us dinner and sitting with us on Friday night right after this happened. Lily Myra for being our editor extraordinaire and close friend who immediately sent us 10 house listings, all within minutes of her home, which I find suspicious. Aaron Celentano and Ryan King for providing music for this episode. And as always, we use the sound library at Zapsplat, which is a great resource for a fledgling podcast like ours. All the music in this episode is linked in the description. Thank you for being bruisers with us. We will see you next time. That was way better than Pat's ending last time. Ha ha ha.